You're listening to the Scottish Football Forums podcast, the home of Scottish football banter. Hi, welcome to this week's episode of Scottish Football Forums podcast, season nine, episode twenty-eight. Uh, I'm John. I'm your host for tonight, and joined by Hello, uh, John. Good, John. How you doing? Hi, John. How are you? This decade. How am I this decade? Just because of the theme that we're going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, Chris, you all right? Aye, not bad. Uh, and we've got a special guest on, Scott from Football Connect. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm fine, thank you. Yeah. Um, so, I, uh, good John Storm of Thunder. Uh, talking of Thunder, it's quite stormy outside. Um, so, there's a good uh, start to that. But, aye. Best of the decade podcast, not the best of this decade because this decade's not been going for that long. Um, <laughs> decade twenty ten to twenty nineteen. Did we ever decide what that was called? Anyone was it tens and teens? Did they ever get a thing for it? Any... No, uh, no, I don't. I don't think they ever came up then because obviously yeah, the two thousands being the noughties and obviously nineties eighties and we're pretty much self explanatory But they never came in up for the twenty tens. The Celtic years now. I always call it that. That sounds good to me. Uh, Twenty tens rewind. Aye, aye. I suppose we could just call the best of decade podcast this Celtic year, couldn't we? Very much. <laughs> uh, just like Chris to talk by just himself. Chris, aye. Aye, just a wee fan of well. Great this decade. The banter years. Well, there's been the banter years as well. Aye. Aye. That's just. And they're just talking before we start recording. There that. Joke is every year we've had this podcast, you're to have won the league. So, uh, for me, the highlight of the decade was starting this podcast back in 2011. Um, Scott, you'd know about that. You were there. Yeah, I was there, yeah, the very first show. With, uh, I, I am Jolly. Host, 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 host. <laughs> I am Jolly. <laughs> uh, no, I missed podcasting with Craig. It was always a good laugh. It's Not good, that the yeah. guys here aren't great, but Craig's. Not been on in a while, so um, always welcome back, of course. But yeah, he has sent me no his contribu- contribution to um, the best of the decade, but we'll see how we go and see if I'll save the banter for now until it's brought up. I mean, just here. All right, we'll see if we've got enough time to include that stuff. I mean, if we can't be bored coming on the podcast, then I don't know about even <laughs> mentioning his comments. I mean, it's just like it's like we're like abandoned children that have been left to run this podcast. To be honest. <laughs> No payment from our no no child maintenance. It's, it's pretty bad. Excuse <laughs> <laughs> me. Um, although I'll I'll start because we asked them of people what the best moment was, and I think this is going to be difficult to beat. So Craig and Anita, where I would have expected to put maybe Rangers winning the league in twenty eleven, or beating Porto in the Europa League, or beating Celtic in a penalty shout in the Scottish Cup. Jim, no. Uh, Craig's best moments there. Jim White interviewing Charles Green on his hospital bed, only in Scottish football. <laughs> <laughs> I totally forgot about that as well. That's how uh, much we've had over this decade. Oh, it's, it's it just, was just I mean, surreal. You that is up this one. Charles Green could be a contender for one of our, one of our categories. Yes. Uh, clown of the decade, he's, he could probably be up there. Hmm. He's one of them. Aye, I'm sure. I'm sure we'll mention the the ongoing saga Rangers um, over the decade a few times in this podcast. Uh, but aye, the Charles Green one was a good one. Um, 
almost as funny as the, the was it the Rangers fighting for funding some Rangers funding thing that they were trying to they ended up giving money to some clown called Mister Custard. <laughs> At least he get paid. At least he get paid. Yeah. He get paid more than the face painter did. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Kevin Bridges joke. I love that one. <laughs> Someone running in like some time. So maybe we just start with clown of the decade. <laughs> We're on that theme, mate, as well. Um, yeah. We're on that theme. A few plenty of contenders. Green, green white, Murray. I'm sure yeah. green and white. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Craig White certainly gets a, a few votes. Um, well, I'd actually name my clown of the decade um, last, <laughs> in one of our podcasts towards the tail end of last decade, and that's Mark McGee um, for yeah. two obvious reasons. Um, one, obviously, being that um, he's... And they're both for pretty much the similar reason, actually. Um, his reaction in the aftermath of that game in uh, 2010, which was Aberdeen's okay. record defeat. Yeah, um, I'll say no more. And his reaction was, it's just three points. And then McMurdo had a similar humping up at Pataudry in a, another nine-goal match that was one-sided, except it was 7-2 Aberdeen. He reacted and said, it's um, something like, it's just a game of football, nobody, nobody died or anything like that. I can't remember exactly his comments, but again, he was just treating the result with utter contempt and showing no respect to the fans who were obviously not happy at the end of those results and so for me he gets it although Craig Levine could be running him close given his spells with both Scotland and his various roles at Hearts from director of football to manager to um, tour guide or whatever it is he's doing these days Get a sweep Did you get any contender Scott? Uh, the, the one that I came up with was uh, Pedro Cachinha um, oh, just, Pedro, I'll go and forget Pedro. You know, he came in thinking he, he kind of knew everything and he, he just totally underestimated the whole entire job. Uh, too many ropey signings and then who could forget the defeat in Luxembourg and him in the bushes uh, talking to the fans and, you know, I don't understand why managers feel the need to speak to fans directly after such a humiliating defeat. There is no need for it because there's never going to be a two-way conversation and the pictures of him uh, in the bushes, that was his Rangers career over as far as I was concerned right there and then because there was no coming back. I forgot all about the bush but I remember, obviously I remember the defeat and obviously um, Stephen Gerrard has uh, since managed to beat that same team so that's progress. Uh (laughs) (laughs) I I forgot all about the bush but because the the other bush thing was when um, (laughs) Uh, I well, <laughs> totally derailed because I remembered the, the, the last time Craig was on the podcast suddenly. Um, <laughs> I thought you'd remember. I thought you'd remember a different bush. Caleb Brook, we're talking about man. No, I was thinking of one that went. Uh, was it uh, Rangers' first game in Division Three? Um, I think it was Division Three. It called at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, was against. Um, was it Breaking City? I've got the hedge. That was the Challenge Cup. Mm-hmm. Was it Challenge Cup? Why? Oh, because that was a game they had to they had to write to Rangers to get permission to use the players because they had to quite <laughs> sorted out all the all the legality and had to quite they, 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 they hadn't quite fine tuned this idea of the same club thing yet because there, there was there was two distinct entities and one still had all the ownership and stuff. So the, the Rangers FC or whatever they were called so, at the time. So the other business owned the players before, yeah. the, the, so it's the same yeah. club but different businesses and Aye. that business owned the players. I think that's the way the Rangers fans would uh, argue that point, whether or Aye. not 
It's true, I have no idea. It was also the game that the SFA had the new version of Rangers playing under a temporary membership, so they could play that game before the the membership that Rangers had for inception for 1872 to 2012 had been transferred across. To you could probably name every Rangers player that played the Challenge Cup, apart from the last season when they won it, as being a clown for not actually winning that competition beforehand. <laughs> so um, that would be, you know, how they'd ever won that competition more than once is beyond uh, disbelief for me. There was some really odd results in that. Were they not like 2 0 up against Alwa in one game and they lost 3 2? Yeah, that's right. And they lost the final to Wraith Rovers um, yeah, in 2014. Yeah. Um, and I think Queen has said to beat them in a penalty shout as well. So that was their yeah. Challenge Cup record. Um, and it's ironic that you mentioned before, Chris, that um, Rangers Colts uh, could well do it in just as quick a time as what Rangers first team did. Yeah, yeah this is the fourth season of the Colts. So if Rangers Colts could go all the way to win it, then they'd win it at exactly the same time as the first team did. It's quite impressive. Mm-hmm. Uh, I but I mean that that's another thing that's worth mentioning is the the, the Rangers journey that was supposed to take three years that took four. Um, maybe I mean I don't we, we never heard from Greg another man who's been on this podcast a few times, but um, I wonder if his one of his finest moments was remarkable thumped Rangers in the playoff. Oh, you would enjoy that. Aye. Oh, there's another one, Mosney. He was a bit of a clown as well that day. So, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. He, what was it, Lee Irwin? He punched. Yeah, yeah, he tried to punch. Yeah. I mean, he, he was pretty bad at the end of that game. But for me, the Moshney clown in the moment for him was the Albion Rovers game, where he somehow smashed the goalkeeper for an equaliser, and then <laughs> did that, that get with the replay or something? Because Albion Rovers were winning one 0 at the time. Yeah, um, he just, he, I don't know how he got away with that, but uh, the goals did, <laughs> and, and we just progressed anyway. Yeah, I think the replay was over at um, Hamilton Aki's ground, because obviously um, Clifton Hill, or whatever it's called these days, the Rygatner, or whatever it's called. Um, but yeah, that's that wasn't obviously fit for um, a Rangers match, so they played that in front of Sky Cameras again um, at New Douglas Park. Um, but yeah, again, back to Petro Cassini, I think to be fair, he was doomed from his first press conference when he said that he had inherited the best squad in Scotland, a team that were 30 points behind Celtic, the same finished 39 behind them, and they finished 9 points behind Aberdeen, despite having so much more of a budget. So yeah, he was never on to a winner when he said that. And all, all his own doing, nobody, no, yeah. nobody really said anything, so you know, that's, that's what I'm saying, he came in as if... All these bright ideas, and it was just Emperor's new clothes, it was just nothing better. <laughs> and they're still trying to pay off Herrera, aren't they, as well? He's, on, he's still in the books. He's still in the books, yeah, I think. They're trying to do a, a deal to, to somebody to take him on his last six months. But yeah, that was another, you know, the two boys from Mexico, uh, you know. Yeah. It was funny because he could score goals, but that was about all he could do, which is not bad for a footballer, but. You know, when you you see him struggling to run from one end of the pitch to the other just at half time, then it's just ridiculous. Well, he couldn't have been doing it that well, otherwise he'd have been playing more because um all Adam Rooney seemed no, to just did that, score. He just did that. <laughs> but he, he, he did seem to score if you look at his goals to minutes ratio, he did seem to score often, but as I say he just didn't do anything else and if you're losing 3-1 it doesn't matter the guy's scoring if he's not then doing what he's meant to do in midfield then you know it becomes a, a luxury you can do without um, and he was never a luxury let's, let's put it that way <laughs> yeah true John who yeah, was are we giving awards out here for clowning a decade or are we just having a few clowns 
Like a circus. Like a circus. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're just giving our own opinions. That's pretty much what it's about, is it not? Um, it's difficult to name one because you're never going to get a winner. So, um, no, for me, um, I would have to say it was Dougie McDonald. <laughs> the man that managed to uh, give a penalty, changed his mind, um, rightly or wrongly. I think wrongly, personally. I think he originally gave the wrong thing. Because I think he gave a, a foul by the goalkeeper, and I don't think the goalkeeper fouled anybody. I think a defender fouled somebody. Um, but the thing what followed that was just utter farce because he roped his linesman into admitting that um, he was the one that told him um, about the, the the penalty, no being a penalty, which the linesman then refuted. Um, so he lied to Neil Lennon, and then Hugh Dallas lied to Neil Lennon, um, and this escalated to the point that. Dougie McDonald was kind of hounded out. The linesman resigned. Um, Hugh Dallas was later caught up in a scandal himself just a wee bit while after that. And after all this, the referees decided to make themselves the victims and went on strike. What did Hugh, Hugh Dallas do again? Uh, he was sending emails. <laughs> I know exactly what he was doing. <laughs> <laughs> F-bomb. So yeah, for me, the Dougie Dougie. That's the point of the decade for me. It is. Yep. Yeah. What is it? Yeah. Cl- <laughs> did, did you, you not give? Did you give your clean of the decade? Is what I was asking. Oh, clean of the decade. I think Mark McGee would certainly be a contender. Um, <laughs> or to, to see by that, I had the misfortune to be at that nine 0 game, which will be forever, uh, forever haunt me. Um, and then there was the the Hearts game not long after, but he thought he was away by then. Uh, I mean, Craig White. Personally, maybe he'd be a hero of the decade, though, I suppose, for a lot of fans. Rangers, but, <laughs> Certainly, uh, some first reasons, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I might make it. And then, obviously, you mentioned Craig Levine as well. The whole 4 6 against Czech Republic, and I just didn't have a clue today in Scotland. I liked him when he came back to Hearts, and just he was like an old man, he just didn't care what he was going to say next at the press conferences. He kind of morphed into a wee bit of a Gordon Strachan. So I kind of let him off a wee bit just because I thought I thought he was you know when he was doing the noise up Neil Lennon or he was noising up some whoever was the Hibs managers at the time. So I kind of let him off for that. Yeah, it's all right trying to do that when you're winning games. Like Alex Ferguson was obviously the master at it, you know, um, and it got him results. Craig Levine was doing it when his team were 18 points behind Hibs. So, you know, his natural order comments and all the rest of it, and uh, um, I just think he came across a complete tool, to be perfectly honest with you, but um, that's I what think, football's I think the, the best, I think the best bit was, obviously, Julie's last thing he was like, but was Craig Levine going to sack Craig Levine? <laughs> uh, and, you know, it got to a stage where it, even Anne Budge just had to get rid of him, and that, that I think, says a lot, because she obviously trusted him a hell of a lot so yeah I, I, I did, he did pop into my head for clown of the, the decade to be fair that's yeah. uh, one I was thinking about was signing the decade whether it be for your club you support or just in general in the league uh, I said uh, Virgil van Dijk uh, the reason why he was best player in Scottish football for the two seasons or whatever it was he was here head and shoulders above you know he was playing in second gear half the time and still you know the the best player here and then 
you know, once he left, you know, Celtic saw the potential, and that's the thing that you have to give credit for because he was playing at obviously Ajax, Feyenoord, PSV, week in, week out, could have seen him, didn't pick him up, Celtic then signed him, and then afterwards he's obviously went to Southampton, went to Liverpool, now he's one of the best players in the world, certainly the best defender in the world, and for a Scottish football to see that first, you know, how many times do we say that it's a retirement league and all the rest of it? But I think this decade's actually, you know, especially the, the second half of it, that's turning around. And we've seen a lot of good potential players. We've had Dembele, Edward, Morelos since then. But Van Dijk was the creme de la creme. And, you know, what did they get? 20 million in the end, including the add-on money. Um, so that would be mine. Yeah, I think Aye. Celtic, to be fair, have quite a few contenders. Um Tony, who had a couple of guest appearances on um, our podcast, uh, put in Moussa Dembele as one of his. There's another example of someone that came in for very little money and was sold for an absolute profit. And then you've had examples of like, Fraser Forster came in for what, £1-2 million and was sold for profit to Southampton. And um, yeah, there's there's lots from Celtic. Um, I think, I mean, from an Aberdeen point of view, I would say Johnny Hayes because he came in the free transfer and he was terrific in the four or five years he was with us. Um, and perhaps overall, from a Scottish football point of view, um, pretty much a similar journey. Um, Andy Robertson, he was really special. He went to Queen's Park, picked up by Dundee United. So that would probably be that thing because he, he made such a progression that he went to the English Premier League with Hull, um, learned his trade and then went to Liverpool to become one of the best left backs in the world. And what his signing and Van Dyke signing just shows that, you know, um, there is potential in Scottish football and that um, Scottish football shouldn't be as sneered at as the likes of um, Adrian Durham seem to to suggest. Yeah, I mean, I had a similar notes when um, I was reading them out. My, uh, my, my top three signings and my player of the decade. And, um, but yeah, I, I, I mean, I've for my point of decade, I've opted for Andy Robertson purely because of the journey he's went on from... It was a total joke for a while. That, oh, he was just five years ago, he was playing for Queen's Park, and now look at him. And went, he has gone from Queen's Park all the way up to playing in two Champions League finals in a row, winning the second one. Um, yeah, yeah, he's probably not as good a player as the likes of Virgil van Dijk or Moussa Dembele, that we've mentioned previously. Um, but I just think that journey he's went on has been fantastic. And you, I mean, my thoughts of Virgil van Dijk when he was at Celtic, was really good player, prone to lapses of concentration. If he can cut that out when he's in England, and he'll have to, he'll be brilliant. And sure enough, he's done exactly that. So, um, that but that's, be- doubt. But that's that be- because he was playing in Scottish football, though. Yeah. And I, could, I think I, it probably I was, could yeah. see that. It was a case of he knew he, he wasn't having to play his best game every week, and that's what it kind of let slip. Whereas as soon as he went to Southampton, which was the, the best stepping stone because he would have to defend more, he then saw that he, he was concentrating for the full 90 minutes, and then that's what led to, to obviously going to Liverpool. The thing is, I think even Randy Robertson, there was still people who'd spotted that, and I don't know if they spotted it a wee bit earlier because Rangers were in that league, and then people were concentrating on that league's TV and things like that. And it's maybe that Van Dyke came more out of nothing because, you know, we don't maybe follow Dutch football the same way. Um, so that's why I would probably have Van Dyke over uh, Dembele, for instance, because we did know Dembele was good at Fulham. And, you know, I think that was the, the slight kind of difference. Yeah, yeah I think of, of the, the three players I listed as the top three signings at Celtic made, the one with, the I think, the most natural talent 
is very problematic to Dembele. I, I, I didn't I didn't get to watch him as much as I got to watch Virgil van Dijk just because of the way the, the decade played out for me. Um, but the the times I did see Moussa Dembele and particularly the one I remember was like a hat trick against Inverness in the cup. Now, I know it's only Inverness, but he stuck out like a sore thumb that day. the The talent that was on display was just phenomenal. Um, so of of the three, I'd say he was the best because the third one. Um, it's kind of hard to compare them because Dembele is a striker, Virgil van Dijk defender, my third one was Fraser Foster mm-hmm. the the difference that Fraser Foster made in both spells he's been at Celtic now in fact you could say he's been at Celtic in about four spells now because he was alone twice and then we bought him and then we sold him and then we got him alone for the third time uh, so the, the Fraser Foster has been a star man for me this decade um, you could argue what his best game is uh, he, most recently he's won Celtic the League Cup but you go back to his European performances this season and in his first spell at Celtic as well there's, you, you can list them off Just it's the, the, he's been the difference in so many games and the, the difference that a goalkeeper makes is just they, they come in for criticism when they make mistakes more than anybody else in the pitch but see when you get one that's phenomenal they do make such a difference they turn one point into three or the best way of kind of showing you the, the difference is probably Rangers when it was Fodderingham, who people thought was quite good. And I was always like, he's, he's good, but he's not really, really good. And then McGregor came back and you just saw the whole defence was a lot more solid. And that's the difference between a good goalkeeper and a very good goalkeeper. I don't, I don't see it as much with Celtic because I thought Craig Gordon was a very good goalkeeper. But I have to say, Fraser Foster uh, has been phenomenal, uh, and you know is you know probably better than Craig Gordon is, mm-hmm. but not in the same kind of difference between the two uh, as it was at Rangers. But that shows you the kind of what you're talking about in terms of the difference between a good goalkeeper and a very good goalkeeper, and it's going to be that's what gets you titles, and I think that's what Celtic have always had in the last ten years. Yeah. You know the major difference for me between Craig Gordon and Fraser Foster. Is it penalties? See, when yeah. Craig Gordon's in goal for a penalty, it's a goal. Unless I'm missing, it's a goal. With Fraser Foster in there, there's a 50-50 chance he's going to save it. And I don't say that lightly. I think he's no, no, literally 50-50. He is phenomenal at saving them. I mean, he, he, again, he saved the penalty in the League Cup final there uh, last month. Um, he's saved countless other penalties in his time at Celtic. I think Craig Gordon saved one penalty in his entire time. I think he's also got... He's also got that stature where a striker, if he misses a few chances, like Morelos in the, the League Cup final, it, they, they start seeing the goals getting smaller and smaller just because he's so big and he's on form, and that's what happens as well. Yeah, the, the, the sheer size of Fraser Foster makes a big difference. Arthur Boric was the same, but he was... Although, if we're talking about, about, talk about signings of the decades and you know, talking about goalkeepers, uh, Joe Lewis at uh, Aberdeen. Yeah. He's that's another one. What a sign he's been for that and mm-hmm. um, it means I've sat back and went off this week because he'll tell us how great he is. That's why I introduced him. <laughs> Aye. The one I was going to go for Aberdeen was though uh, now again. So I think he was he's a catalyst for mm-hmm. after we'd had a lot of draws McGinn was one of the first ones that came in you thought right this is a decent player better standard of player obviously he's the two different spells with the club always think when McGinn's on the pitch whether I know some folk will say maybe he's not that consistent but I always think if he's on the pitch there's something likely to happen, whether it's him setting up a goal or scoring a goal. I think he's underrated in terms of the way, the way he works back as well and helps out. Um, over 80 goals as well. I mean, the first season, when he 
played up front through the middle. He was terrific. I don't know why uh, McInnes decided I will play him out wide when he was so good through the middle. I still think at times, yeah. why don't we try him out in the middle or even as a number 10 type player? Um, but I, McInnes would be the one for me because he was the one that kind of, I think the catalyst for the likes of Hayes and Reynolds coming in back in 2012. Um, over 300 appearances, 80 odd goals, which for a guy that's mostly played out wide for for us has been terrific, I think. But yeah. I told Lewis is mustard reliable. Um, not quite sure he's captain material, however, but um, yeah, I would agree that um, McGinn would be in my top three um, along with um, Johnny Hayes. I think Hayes took a, a, a wee bit longer than McGinn to settle in uh, for whatever reason. Um, with, but no, he certainly flourished since uh, Dent McGinnis came in, and yeah, Joe Lewis without a doubt would be um, signing up. Um, in my top three as well um, because we'd had Danny Ward for six months and we were spoilt with Danny Ward um, for a bit because then Liverpool called him back and we ended up with Scott Brown being back in goals and the standard dropped and our season kind of tailed off after that um, but then we were brought vital in, season as well it was yeah we had a good chance of winning the league playing Celtic's captain in goals wasn't your best idea was it <laughs> <laughs> sorry I had to be I had to, I had to say that oh. Yeah, but you know, getting Joel Lewis in was a um, terrific bit of business and a free transfer as well. Um, and he's just been uh, so solid and a complete um, step up in terms of standard of goalkeeper that we've had for quite a long time. Because um, Jamie Langfield divided the fans' opinions. Um, you know, he himself, when he left Aberdeen, said he was like Marmite. Um, you know, he's either loved or hated. He was the best of, um, without doubt, a. Uh, a poor bunch, you know, because every other contender Jamie Lanfield had was just not anywhere near good enough. Um, but Joe Lewis came in just up the standard, and you know, to get him the five-year contract um, in the summer um, is probably as good a sign as we've made all summer. I definitely. Um, um, who did Craig? Did Craig a car best sign? Uh, he made, I asked for top three. He only named two. Um, he just put. Um, Morelos, Kenny Miller and question mark. Um, he was obviously going to go with Kenny Miller um, just because, you know, that's his um, that's his pin-up bolster boy. Um, but he also went with Morelos, I've got to say, say without doubt, that's been Rangers sign of the decade. Um, you know, to get him in from a million, yeah. for a million pound and him scoring the goals that he's done. Um, we've obviously sp- spoke this season about how much he's, you know, He's knuckled down and he started delivering big European games. He still did deliver that old firm goal, obviously. He still got to keep his temp. He's kept his temp- temperament in check throughout the majority of the season, but he let himself down the, the last old firm game. But mm-hmm. he's definitely he's definitely improving, and you wouldn't rule him out scoring in the next old firm game. No, I think the thing with Morelos, I think he showed it right at the end of that game, just at the end of the month, that it's obviously bothering him. Yeah. He's not scored against Celtic because he he hear it all, he knows it all, and you're right. He has knuckled down. He's been a lot better in the uh, this season. I think he's been sent off twice this season, both of them for second bookings. One of which was for celebrating too much, because so, he was getting up the fans that had been getting pelters. I hate <laughs> that, by the way. You yes. should if you're getting pelters, you should be able to get them back. Yeah. That's simple. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then obviously the other one was the dive against Celtic, which. That must be the most frustrating one. Because if he, you know, if he's getting kicked all game and he kicks back at somebody, like right, okay, I can understand it. I, I, I don't agree with it. I want him to kind of kick it out. Pardon the pun, but you know, it's 
he, he, he can understand it. The same with the fan situation and referees. Different referees will give the yellow card, others won't. But the dive, you're winning. You're, you're at that end of the field. You don't need to do it. It's clear as day that you've dived, and that's the, the that's the, the the worst one. That must be the most frustrating one because there was no need whatsoever. And you've just it's because as Chris says, it's because it's Celtic and it's cause. It, but he stepped up for that penalty in the cup final. I knew he was going to miss because it just it means too much for him, and it was just too high pressure. And you could see it in his face. And it's the same with the sending off. It's it's a game that obviously means a lot to him. He wants to break his duck, but you've got to just treat it like every other game, and he doesn't do that. And you know that that must be the most frustrating thing about that one sending off because there was no need for it. Unless he leaves Rangers in January, that goal's going to come. He's getting far too many chances for it not to come. And he is, I mean, I, I mean, I keep, I keep, obviously I see him most when he plays against Celtic, so he hasn't scored against Celtic. But it's not as if I haven't seen him, the, the amount of goals he gets. You see his record in Europe this season, it's phenomenal. Yeah. It's, I mean, like, they, they say he's, he's scored more than Larson did the season that Celtic got to Seville. Well, yeah, he has, but then he's played more games than last. Yeah, there's more qualifiers as well and stuff, yeah. But it levels out. It's exactly the same kind of goal ratio. It's like so many goals for so many games. It's about 12 or 14 or something else is on there. And it, you know, yeah, it might be against like teams like the third best team in Gibraltar and things like that. But it's not just that. He's no, getting you look, fine order and poor yeah, You look, at, you look at the group stage. Yeah, they look at the group stage. Much as he did in the qualifiers. So for me, Morelos is a quality player. Somebody's going to come in and test Rangers' metal at some point. Um, they're, they're not. They're they're going to look at the Celtic thing and go, uh, I can maybe get that out of his head, and then. Well, if he if he goes play. to if he goes to a bigger league and he will go to a bigger league, the attention's not going to be the same on him because he won't go to yeah. the, the top end of clubs. He'll go to a kind of middle of the road or a team maybe fighting relegation or whatever. And, it, you know, if he goes abroad, if he goes uh, to the continent, they're not going to be the same way. Because Finland, they can't understand what the problem is because he never had the same issues when he was playing in Finland. He's not going to get kicked. He's not going to get picked on the exact same way. And I think you will see a different temperament to him. And he may, may, may struggle for goals because they defend a bit differently as well. But... That we'll have to wait and see on on that case, but I think he will. His his record in Scotland is impacted on the way that defences are set up to actually kick him. And sometimes I think referees don't give him the benefit of the doubt where they should. And sometimes you know he he doesn't help himself, and I, I get that as well. So it's a hard one. But I think if he, when he leaves, you're going to see you're not going to see the set the roughs that you see in Scotland. No, no. I think I think the goldfish bowl doesn't help him. No, definitely not. We'll move on. Goal of the decade. Um, Mine, if I can start, is, and it was in a game we actually lost for Aberdeen, Rory Fallon, Aberdeen Hibs, semi-final of the Scott 2012. Just terrific. Best, game, best goal I've seen live. The open volley from about 31 yards. And then heartbreak after when we, we lost the game. I'll be yeah, that was a, a quality goal. Um, I don't see it the same way simply because we lost the game. We were so poor against a poor house hip side that also went on to lose 5-1 in the final to, to Hearts. Um, my goal was completely more biased. It was a game that we won. Um, it was against Celtic. It was by Johnny Hayes, an absolute screaming at the top right-hand oh. corner, Fraser Forster's goal, which... Um, 
know, broke a record of that Fraser Foster set for clean sheets, if I remember rightly, and it was just an absolute yep. screamer. Um, yeah, that that would probably be mine um, from an Aberdeen point of view. From a, um, I can't. Uh, to be honest, I, I've not really thought much about other goals scored by other clubs during this um, the, this decade to real uh, to think about. But from an international point of view, probably Griffith's second free kick. Um, against England, but again, what happened a couple of minutes later takes the shine off that for me. Yeah. So th- there was two that came to mind for me, and on a similar vein as what you're saying, because um, we'll come on to what, things like international moment later on. Um, one was Kieran Tierney's goal in the League Cup against Kilmarnock, where he pretty much pinged it in from about 573 yards. Um, and the, right into the top corner where nobody was ever getting anywhere near it and my favourite bit of that goal was the one it was an angle just behind Tierney so you can see this heading straight in the top corner for the moment it loses, leaves his foot and Kurt Broadfoot is there and he watches it goes in and then you see him turn round and look at Tierney and it's just as if he can't believe he's just done that it was a look in Broadfoot's face was priceless so for me that was my favourite goal of the decade so for me I've got to go on a different tact uh, I'm going to take you to the Junior Leagues, uh, August 2016, uh, Pollock full Tam Hanlon, he scored a, a hat-trick and all three goals were special, uh, two free kicks, um, both top corners and then sandwiched in between them, he controls the ball halfway through the opposition half and then just Roberto Carlos style strikes the ball, swerves into the top opposite corner from where he is so that would be the left hand corner for me where he is um, you know the, the compilation of the three goals was on pretty much every it went viral pretty much on every kind of TV station um, but that was you know for for junior football to get three superb goals all from a full back uh, and it's, it's just the, the kind of moment of goals that kind of stands out for me for the full decade um, I can't I seem to forget more good goals than I can remember from, uh, from the last decade, but that that, that certainly kind of stepped in, kind of etched into my brain. And I was struggling to remember the, the the brilliant goals as well. I mean, I remember a Virgil Van Dijk free kick at Easter Road, and um, there was obviously the one where about eight thousand passes before um, there was a or a Bona and a back heel and a. <laughs> <laughs> just all sorts of bits in the build up the bell finished it off aye. Um, but that was, that was a cracking goal as well but aye, I was just I think the, the, the thing is like, you remember the really good goals that are technically scored in some way but actually it's the moments you tend to remember yeah, better that actual, means something to you yeah. yeah so you remember like last minute winners and you remember what big goals against big opposition and things like that um, so I mean the one I was I was touching on previously, but like uh, John mentioned the the, the Lee Griffiths pre kicks for me, and this was my international my favourite international moment as well. wasn't against England at all. It was against Ireland at Celtic Park. The Sean Maloney goal for the, corner, the, the, the yeah. short corner. I hate short corners mm-hmm. except this one because yeah. the, the the build up and finish for this one was phenomenal. Yeah. Um, it was in the goal. I was behind that night and it was mm-hmm. just. I think that was a night I believe that Scotland could actually qualify for that tournament um, because I spent that entire tournament saying um, Germany will take care of itself as long as we take we beat Ireland and we beat Poland at home, get draws away beat the rest, we'll qualify for this and I was talking about that through the entire tournament 
qualifying, and we were doing it. We were beating up. We were winning the games at home. We were drawing away because uh, we had like people moaned about the draw in Ireland, but uh, to me that was all right. It was fine. We still could qualify for that. Mm. And we got the draw in Poland, and it was good as well. Mm. That I wanted. So we it came down, and then we got, went to Georgia, and sure enough, Scotland did. They always do. He shot himself on the foot, uh, and that binned it. And then we got a draw against Poland at home as well in the, in the last minute. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so I kind of felt in the same end, but, mm-hmm. aye, aye, that was the thing. I, I, I don't beat Germany. So it didn't help. Everybody else seemed to take points off Germany. Germany weren't quite as good as we were expecting them to be, especially since they were reigning world champions at the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a campaign where supposedly none of the games we played were must-win games. Yeah, I think that was the thing that annoyed me as we were going through that campaign was the fact they kept saying that, despite the fact I was saying no, we, we, we do this, we do that, we'll, we'll definitely qualify. And see when you look back at it, see if we had beat Georgia and we'd not lost that last minute goal against Poland, we'd have qualified. Mm-hmm. Yep. Job was right. Bloody annoying, we've never done it. It's hard to pick a favourite international moment of the decade. Ah, the the Sean Money goal was one of the very few <laughs> highlights for me. Yeah, that was that was mine. Yeah, and I I had the same thing. The moment or goal. But well, my in, in my point of view, uh, moment uh, from international point of view, the best moment was um, probably beating Ireland that night. And I said right before Sean Mullen hit his shot was, oh God, short corners do not work. And he hits one in the back of the net. I think that's one of the only times I've seen it work. Certainly live, it's the only uh, time I've seen it work. Um, but was it uh, against Holland? Was that a short corner or was that just the kind of same No, it came back from channel. The, no, what happened was um, Van Nitschel played on the corner, it was headed out, I think. can't remember which. Right, and then it came Sam, back to an yeah, Played it for there, yeah. yeah. That looked as though from where I was standing from the corner, was that the, it looked as though the ball stopped in mid and then dropped down. But anyway, that's us talking about the noughties. We're moving, we need to get back to the right <laughs> decade here. <laughs> we're going back, we're going back to the <laughs> Well, that's like that's even if we talk about the noughties, there's not that many great moments either. I know. <laughs> even worse. But I, I mean, I did, I did enjoy the way Griffiths goals at the time. Um, just, yeah, how it finished, so was it? Yeah. yeah. It, it was punctured. I hate goals like when you're celebrating, you've got euphoria, and then you're punctured straight away. Yeah. There's nothing worse than you're, you're, you're euphoric and then straight away, you're like, just keep it for five minutes, Let's just and then bang, you've already conceded, and you're like, oh, God. Actually, I, the problem with that one was if we just hoofed it out of the way, yeah. it would have been fine. It was the fact that Stuart Armstrong lost the ball, yeah, and then we brought out of position and just, uh, if we just hoofed it. <laughs> I know. But then... Nothing clever. But then nobody goes out to shut down the cross, Uh Every defender thought, let's just leave the top score in England free inside the box. Okay, Gordon didn't cover himself in glory. It was just all round a dreadful goal to lose, but it all yeah. started, as you say, from Armstrong. Um, that was Tony's worst moment of the decade. That wasn't yeah. my worst international moment. My worst one was either the Kazakhstan or Israel performances um, away from home. Um, oh, Kazakhstan ones, that's mine. Oh, dear. That's put me in a depressed mood already. Yeah. Um... My worst, my worst moment um, was two weeks before, and I th- got a feeling that Chris might make this his best moment. Um, was the twenty seventeen Scottish Cup final? Um, oh no! Yeah, <laughs> come just, on! Hi, um, that's, that's a ban in that, John. See, in the decade, we don't talk about that anymore. <laughs> right? There's a, a Roderick uh, bleak button. Yeah, <laughs> and you're the first one to mention that. We can swear as much as you want, but there's a bleep <laughs> button for Tom. Yeah. Right? Yeah, 
It's, well, it's got to be mentioned. Like, his worst moment was in the categories, um, and that unfortunately is my. Um, I mean, there is, no, there is no. There is no. I didn't get a worst moment. Hmm. I didn't get what. Nobody said me anything about worst moment, so I've not got it done. <laughs> it's maybe in the original categories. I think we had a couple of different kind of sorts, but there's been a few different ones. Well, boss would be Kazakhstan for me, so that's fine. We've already covered that. Yeah. Yeah. My, I mean, my worst moment. I mean, we mentioned the Sean Maloney goal um, at Celtic Park. My worst moment was also at that end at uh, Celtic Park. Um, it was me at football in twenty thirteen. That was the best moment then. <laughs> oh, it's, it's going to haunt me to my dying day that because you never know, never... you never know you may get a chance to redeem yourself in the charity yeah. game no but even then even if I get a hat it's, 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 it's not Celtic Park exactly imagine imagine you never score a goal in any game of 11s ever and then you get this open goal at Celtic Park of all places and you manage to miss <laughs> it was laid on a plate for me <laughs> yeah, it's going to hold me to my dying day. I'm like, I've got to score a hat trick against Aberdeen in, in the March. Um, so, what, what the March. was through your mind as soon as you've missed that? Van Vossen. Hide. <laughs> See, if, if you just watch the rest of the video, the next thing I do is stack my head under my, 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 my top. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember. I just, you just want the earth to swallow you at that point. <laughs> See, I'm, I'm different, but then I, I played up front uh, when I was youngster, younger, when I was put in. It would make me more, right, I need to score now. I need to get more, I need to get another chance. So, I, not necessarily, I, wouldn't, I might not get another chance and all the rest of it, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't go up and put my, I mean, I'll just go, right, that's, that's missed, carry on. I was always very kind of clinical in that way. You, you, I mean, I've, I've missed so many chances in my life, I'm pretty used to it, but they tend not to come along but, as much. Uh, yeah, like it, no, Park, yeah, I can, mm-hmm. I can imagine it's uh, kicking the balls. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so you I mean, it up like that, aye? We'll speak up no, I'm the one that put it up on YouTube, so it's fine. And it's just on here. I, I tried to own it, so um, it's, it's going to haunt me regardless, to be honest. <laughs> it is um, a badness, I'll say that. You need to get a chance to try and be, play again at Parkhead. Um, maybe. I don't know. I'm getting old. <laughs> F1, what was your worst <laughs> moment? <laughs> Best is about him already. Oh, the same as yours. How could it be anything else? I know. Mind you, there's been a few semi-final defeats and all that type of thing as well, wouldn't it? They've hurt against Celtic. This... Aye. Jeez, oh, the 4-1 when you were like, away him at half-time. That, was, that must have been pretty horrific for you. I stayed the 90 minutes that day. Kid. Believe it or not. Yeah, I don't no, know how I, I stayed. Far too many defeats. Just basically Hamden. Hamden's our worst moment. When we go to Hamden, it's pretty shit. Well, that's it. I mean, I'd imagine your best moment, one of your best moments has got to be the, the League Cup one. And even that was at Celtic Park. <laughs> that was relief. Yeah. Uh, certainly the best moment, but yeah, still doesn't feel like you got a proper celebration out of that. Um, so, yeah, hopefully at some point soon we can yeah. win something where you can actually enjoy it and I would deserve that. It was a weird feeling. It was great though in terms of the the actual turnout and park red and everything like that. It just looked superb. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean the game itself was awful. I mean Johnny Hayes getting injured and different things like that. And even the penalty shoot, you're like, oh, aye, aye. It was awful. the best. Watch it. Um, well, Aberdeen's penalties were good because we converted all four and they were all 
perfectly yeah. well taken. Um, Inverness's first two were pretty poor. Greg Tanzi um, probably did his best thing for Aberdeen when he was in Inverness, <laughs> blazing his miles over the bar. I think it's still travelling now. Um, <laughs> I said the same about Malo Flint. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Pelwick is, doesn't he? Wake up, Sammy. <laughs> <laughs> to be fair, though, I'm half joking there, because um, Greg Tanzi obviously had a hard time with his injuries at Aberdeen. Um, so, uh, um, hope he's feeling a bit better now he's retired but my, my best one was you actually just slated the guy and I, to go, oh, well, I hope he's alright now because <laughs> he said he's, the ball's still travelling yeah. over, his, over his bed right as we speak I know <laughs> <laughs> but I hope but, he's alright aye but the best the best moment um, was probably the semi-final against St Johnson that year at Tynecastle um, no the place was absolutely electric that day um, obviously Tynecastle brings out a, a great atmosphere when it's absolutely full and uh, we just destroyed. I say we destroyed St Johnson that day. There was a couple of moments in the game um, where it it could have swung. Like when Jamie Lifey with a great save from Lee Croft at one 0 You know if that goes in one one, it's a completely different game. And St Johnson were also a tough side at that point. They won the Scottish Cup um, that year. Um, but yeah, when we were going forward that day, were just tremendous. Especially Paul, he played out his skin that day, and uh, no, it was just a great feel because we hadn't been a final in fourteen years. Um, until that moment, so it was just a relief to get to the final in itself, and then obviously winning it um, was great. But this, whilst winning the cup was amazing, I think the semi final um, just for atmosphere was just better. Yeah, the, I've got a domestic moment as well that doesn't involve Aberdeen and that. Um, sadly, him, well, sadly, but happily for Hibs, Hibs winning the Scottish Cup. I mean, fair play yeah, that was the amount of time they went without winning it, um, and to win it the way they won it as well. And, Aye. Yeah, I, I think I think most people would probably agree that of all the moments that have happened across the decade, certainly domestically, the highlight for the entire of Scottish football was that um, Scottish Cup final in 2016. Um, I mean, it was because it was a great game as well. You had the, the, the early opener for Anthony Stokes. Rangers managed to pull it back and turn it around to 2-1. You then had a late equaliser for Anthony Stokes. You're thinking, all right, this is going to extra time. And then you get an injury time winner from your captain to end 114 years wait for that Scottish Cup. is just amazing. It's no just better, such a way to do it. There's no better time to win a game than last minute. You know, if you, you could pick something to score a goal, it would be last minute and you'd want it probably hit off the woodwork to go in. And then that's it. You know what I mean? That's that's how you want to end any any sort of game. So for them, it's going the last minute to end all that because the fans must have been at that point going, right, it doesn't matter what's happening, we're probably not going to win this. Um, just because they've had so many, you know, so many disappointments, 114 years without a Scottish Cup, and then just to totally turn that on its head within that one second. And uh, to be fair, at the Stokes, that was the best game I think I've ever seen him play. Right from the get go, he had the the making of that Rangers defence. He knew exactly how to beat them. Um and he gave them a torrid time for for the full kind of game. Rangers just it's funny because if you look at that season, Rangers commanded the league for pretty much you know, Mark Warburton had that league sussed from day one and he kind of ran away with it for to the most part. But his, you know, decline started that day because he couldn't cheat. He'd never had a plan B. And Stubbs managed to kind of work out a way of kind of... The, the Rangers' legs just went. And they were lucky that they got into a 2-1 lead. There wasn't... They were, Hibs, I thought, were always the better team that day. And then 
sure enough, they got the two late goals. Uh, you can't, you know, so you can't even say that the Hibs were lucky. They, they weren't lucky. They, they were the better team. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's when, you know, Rangers, that was put something in their head as well in terms of winning trophies, I think. I think that was a, a kind of a real serious impact that had uh, for Mark Warburton and for, for Rangers as a, as a football club in yeah. terms of getting over that line. Um, whereas Hibs, it totally trans- transformed um, a season where they didn't actually get promoted. It was two teams that were in the, the second tier and you know that, they didn't care. That, that was the best season for them. Yeah, I think I, I, to, to, for me, the, um, I've always been biased. I've always loved the Scottish Cup, um, and obviously the league's a bread and butter. And, but to, to me, there's, there's a magic about the Scottish Cup. It always has been from when I was a wee boy. And for me, again, when I was thinking of what was the best moments of this sort of decade, it's all been like Scottish Cup moments. So you've obviously got the for me the peak with the the the, the 2016 Hibs sending the hoodoo. Um the following season, we've obviously mentioned it was your worst moment, but it was, I mean, from a Celtic fan perspective, the invincible treble is something that's never going to be beaten. You can't beat it. Literally, can't beat it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, even in that game, you listen. If you watch the the the, the, the winning goal, you, you hear Lewis McLeod talking about we thought we we're going to get extra time. What? Uh, Twelve months ago, because he's still referring back to the the great ending that you had in the the 2016 final. Um, but I mean, we, we we then went on to win the double treble. We won the treble treble. We're coming back behind uh, for behind against Hearts. But if you go back away as well, you had Inverness winning their first major tournament um, in in 2015. You had St Johnson winning their first major tournament in 2014. Um, I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the final of 2013 where we beat Hibs. Um, but the year before, Hibs also made the final of that, and that must the Hearts fans still going about it. I'm pretty sure that's why Hickey was 51 on his back. Now, um, Rudy Sketch was certainly went for 51 um, on his back because of the, the infamous uh, scoreline. I mean, if you, like, when Laurie was, I think Laurie was still on the podcast back then. Um, so, yeah, he, I know he definitely loved that day. No, that was the most one sided one of the decade, I think, yeah. isn't it? Yeah, I, of the, the Scottish Cup finals we had this decade, it's easily the most one sided. It was just. Oh, it was almost. I, I mean, I was watching that game, thinking uh, that Celtic's record seven-one uh, final win was under yeah. threat. I genuinely yeah. thought it was going to go that day because, as you say, Hearts it was just ridiculously one-sided. I mean, they had a penalty that probably wasn't in the penalty because well, I call him give it outside the box. However, <laughs> um, it was it was always going to be a Hearts win that day. There was no doubt about it. Um, it's funny though because I mean, we, for me, the one of the stories of the decade was I, I kept making this point that. To end your hoodoo, you've got to beat your greatest rivals. It's like the Yankees, uh, sorry, the Red Sox beating the Yankees in like baseball. That had to happen on their way to winning the, the, the World Series for the first time in 90 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and in Hibs' case, my, underst- my, my thinking was it oh, had to be Hearts to beat. They had to beat Hearts mm-hmm. somewhere along the line to win the Scottish Cup. Um, I thought getting the final against them was going to be the day they did it. They obviously didn't. Um, they did beat Hearts the following season. Um but I think that was the season that switched for being like the third round played in the January to the third round played in the December. So Hearts' reign as uh, holders of that cup didn't last long because Hibs were the ones that beat them in the third round. And I thought that was the season we are going to do it, but then they faced Celtic in the final and lost 3-0. Um, when it came around in 2016, they had to beat Hearts to get there. And sure enough, they did, and finally it happened. So it just, I think it's one of these, it's one of these great stories. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's... 
I was watching the YouTube videos before we did this podcast, the, a few of the, the, the highlights for the, the games. And um, if you just sit and watch the sunshine on Leith, but at the end of the game, the, the emotion that pours out when they're singing that song, it bring a tear to your eye. Um, there, are, there was obviously the pitch invasion that happened at full time. Um, there was a few... Uh, brought here to Lee Wallace's idea. Aye, there was a few unsavoury uh, moments of that pitch invasion, but for the vast majority of people on that pitch, they were in the rain half. It was just overjoyed, over exuberance. It was the kind. If, if you if you don't watch football and you don't have a stake in football, you might not understand how the Hibs fans were feeling that day. To be honest. When you've got nobody understands the Hibs fans better than Hibs fans because none of us have gone 114 years without a trophy or oh, without a Scottish Cup specifically because obviously the Hibs have won the other two um, during that time. But the, the problem, the problem with the, the problem with the that I've got with the the invasion was the ones that went straight across the other end of the field. Yeah. yeah. That's that. That's not euphoria. That's to rub it in and everything. And they're then joined by the idiot Rangers fans who they went right. Okay, we're not accepting that. I think mm-hmm. if they'd have just went into the road half and celebrated with the players, I'd have been. That's fantastic. But as soon as this, a, a certain number of them passed the kind of halfway line towards the, the Rangers fans, you're then thinking, well, yeah. that's a recipe for disaster. And it's a shame because. If they'd have just went into their own half and celebrated with their players, I don't think anybody would have said anything about it. And you could maybe have thought, well, we could maybe kind of do that on a, on a kind of occasion like that and not have any problems. But you can't, it just kind of nailed it in that you can't, we can't actually allow fans on the pitch. And that's the kind of sadness yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah. and the Hibs, Hibs players um, couldn't celebrate. You know, couldn't do the trophy um, parade around the stadium, which was the one, probably yeah. the one thing that you know they would have loved to have looked back on a bit more. Um, but and after that performance, they deserved that. Yeah. You know, and that's that's yeah. a sad thing. I think that it does it, it does give a rather unique perspective of that final um, presentation, though, because you obviously they get the trophy up, you always get the trophy at Hamden now, and they stayed there. So they got to stay in the stand as Sunshine Life was built around, and I think that actually added to something. It would have been. It would then have been better had they been able to take it down and parade it in front of the fans after that. And to be honest, they went to stewards and posts. We're kicking about at that point. Mm-hmm. Actually, no reason they didn't. They couldn't do that. There was a shield of people at that point. They could have paraded it. It was just being pedantic at that point. I think, I think because definitely. I I interviewed the police commander that day. Um, I interviewed him a couple of months ago, and I think what happened is he the, the, the football authorities signed over because they they're the ones actually police inside the stadium isn't the police it's the football authorities and by that point they'd signed over so I think logistically it was now kind of a kind of policed stadium where it's then they're thinking of certain things rather than the spectacle because it's not really so So I think because it had to get signed over that's what made it such a, a kind of diplomatic kind of red tape of actually letting them back in because you should say they probably could have Rangers fans would have probably been disappeared mm-hmm. a lot of them by then and you know as you say there's a lot of stewards and police by that point but I think the mindset isn't the same as if you're, yeah. if you're yeah, a, a member of Hamden who's then this is what we want you to do and get foot calls and stuff so it's just a shame yeah. Uh, I'll read out a couple of the replies from um, the the Twitter question that we asked um, a month ago. Um, so um, we had Craig Murray say twi- um, 17th of May 2014, St Johnston FC. Um, 
Keith is actually um, my best mate, um, my best mate. Hayden put in the, the two Motherwell playoff wins against the Rangers. Um, Richie puts in unveiling Billy McNeil's statue in Celtic Way. That's, that's quite a nice one, actually. A couple of Falkirk fans went for um, Hibs and Falkirk won Scottish Cup and Hib- Falkirk see Hibs 2 in the playoff. Um, but the one I liked the most was um, John Peacock, who's um, an Albion Rovers uh, physio, said... Um, Clyde to Albion Rovers 3, 18th to 4, 2015. Clinching the league at Clyde of all places after being 2-0 down. So, nice. that's a good, good way to win it. <laughs> um, when, when this question was first put to me as best game you watched as a neutral, the, the 2014 Scottish Cup final was probably one that came to mind the most because I'd managed to get a ticket for it. So I was sitting um, in front, just in front of the director's box watching the St. Johnston Dunn United final. Um, obviously St Johnson went on to win it 2-0 um, and at full time I turned down and walked at the, the director's box and it was just you could see all the the um, St Johnson directors and stuff hugging each other and you, you could you could see what it meant to every single one of them um, again obviously if you're a football fan you know that feeling but to see it as a neutral um, what it means to a club that has never won a major trophy in their life um to be able to turn around and see that emotion right in front of me was something I'll never forget. So um, I have a special affinity with the 2014 Scottish Cup final. And not just because it was at Celtic Park. <laughs> yeah. What about marriage? That's one I was thinking of marriage a decade. It can only be one really, can't it? Can it? Well, yeah. I, st- I struggled there, with this one. Listen, listen, there can be, I know you were going to struggle with this one, because every Celtic fan struggles with it. But if you're wanting to be academic about it, it has to be Brendan Rodgers. They have to, you can't say, you can't go about that um, invincible season and then not actually think, well, a lot of that is down to Brendan Rodgers. That, pretty much a lot of it is, is down to Brendan Rodgers. If he didn't leave the way he did, you'd have easily said Brendan Rodgers. It's just I'm because sure. of the way he left. I mean, I, I, I know what you're saying. And I, I, mean, I said on this podcast a couple of weeks ago, actually, that the way Brendan Rodgers left has put a similar taste in my, mind, my mouth. However, for me, the Invincible, I said earlier on this podcast, the Invincible season cannot be beaten uh, in terms of what was achieved that year. Um, we went, like, well, technically, you could beat it by drawing well, less game, three games or less, and doing better in Europe. And that, for me, is the key, because this is where Neil Lennon comes into it. No, but see, this is the thing. He still qualified twice for the Champions League, so you've you've, you've added on more games on, in that. He still got some decent results with, with uh, was it Man City, and he got into what the last thirty-two of the Europa League. Yeah. Um. So I. I and, and when we're putting it in Neil Lennon we can't forget this This is a decade and he was crap at Bolton and he messed up at Hibs so it's but it, I didn't yeah. even think of Neil Lennon I thought Brad Rogers was a certainty and then probably for consistency Derek McInnes after that um, Possible I mean I think Derek McInnes has to be up there but for, I think, for me I think Neil Lennon's results in Europe have been better than Brendan Rodgers. I mean, Brendan Rodgers... I don't agree with you. Um, he did make the Champions League on two occasions, but then, so did Neil Lennon. 
Funny I, I wrote a, a, a full blog about how Neil Lennon was actually going to be better this season in Europe than Brendan Rodgers ever was because he adapts and he's more um, understanding that his game plan isn't suited to... Brendan didn't understand that his game plan wasn't suited to Europe and he just wanted to pretty much show off to, to teams probably down south that this is the attacking style that he likes playing, whereas Neil Lennon's more pragmatic and that's where you get results. Uh, both the European result that we're going to talk about uh, moments come from Neil Lennon um, but again you know he went through a full season he brought back the treble for Celtic yeah. which you know was what two, only two managers were previously done and it was you know they didn't lose a game and then they did the treble again the next season I honestly think if you're if you're really looking at it without all the baggage, you have to give it to Brendan Rodgers. I, I, I mean, I, I can't disagree. Domestically, there's no contest whatsoever. It's Brendan Rodgers by a country mile. And that's your Brendan. I, I know, but I have always believed that the real measure of a team like Celtic and the real measure of a team like Rangers is what they do in Europe. And for me, Brendan Rodgers got us thumped several times. And there was there was games I was watching. I was feeling sick watching them because we were getting thumped so much. Um, Neil Lennon, on the other hand, has he's beaten Barcelona. That's going to be the thing he crows about forever. But it's not just that one. I mean, even this season alone, we finally won a game in Italy. We'd never done that before. Yes, yeah, so, so that's my two European yeah moments at the, at the window. But yeah. the, the, we're talking about manager of the decade. And again, then Brendan Rodgers went and did what he's done at Leicester. Whereas if you look at the interlude from Neil Lennon, he did nothing really. He got Hibs promoted, and I suppose you know I shouldn't underestimate that. But the way it ended was very similar. He was lucky that he got the Celtic job. You know, he shouldn't have got the Celtic job on the basis of not interviewing anybody else. That I think that that's still ridiculous. Um, look at the, the old fun performances, last two uh, Rangers Celtic performances before people start complaining. That's said the old fun. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, it, it, there's, there's a there's a flawness when you're learning that there wasn't with Brendan Rodgers at Celtic. Or, or you know, Brendan Rodgers never showed it until probably the very end. Well, yeah, I mean, Brendan Rodgers did have that thump when it time. So, for instance, the end, on, we had, <laughs> the joke I made at the time was, uh, what was a good 69, a good pumping. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> just the 69 game unbeaten as well came at the end of the time. So, and it was, it was horrendous as well. It was one, Again, it was one of those games you were watching, hiding behind the fingers, uh, like we had with the European games. One thing I think gets forgotten a lot, and actually we mentioned the game on this, Neil Lennon was one game away from an invincible league season. And it was that game that we mentioned earlier about Johnny Hayes scoring that goal. Mm-hmm. That's, that was the only game that Celtic lost in the league that season. Yeah, but that wasn't an invincible season, though, domestically. Oh, because he lost to Martin when League the, Cup. <laughs> yeah. the Scottish Cup. Oh, yeah, the, 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 the Cup we were horrendous. And even in Europe that season, we weren't great. Um, we, we, we had the turnaround against Shakhtar Karagandhi. Again, when you're talking about moments... Shakhtar Karagandhi, the last minute winner of the James Forest. That's one of those moments that we had that in Europe. We never had anything like that under Brendan Rodgers in Europe. We had several of them with Dean Lennon. And I have always measured how we do 
in Europe because that to me is the pinnacle of being the Celtic manager. It's what you do domestically is the bread and butter, but what you do European wise is where I will measure you most. But again, he qualified two Champions Leagues and it was a bit more than bread and butter in the you know I mean it was a wee bit of jam on the bread and butter with the domestic <laughs> so can, can, can we come off the Celtic roundabout here and um, give some other managers some credit here? Um, can, I mean, see yeah, you, you, oh, yeah, I yeah. think that's a great show. Derek McInnes this decade. Um, okay, he probably should have won more than one League Cup. I think a lot of people say that. However, the the challenge he gave Celtic when Aberdeen were the main challengers, I thought was terrific. Um, Celtic did have to up their game um, on several occasions to to to, to stave off Aberdeen. Um, I think it's it's not been as great this season, but he still seems to. I mean, we've, we've mentioned the signings he was making over the last few seasons. So excellent, now McGinn, Johnny Hayes, and Joe Lewis, and he, he seems to keep rebuilding when he loses these key players. Because you think of the likes of like the, the players that have moved on, like Adam Rooney. I mean, Adam Rooney was a terrific goal scorer for Aberdeen. And they had to find a way to replace him. They finally managed to do it with Sam Cosgrove. Um, that churn is one of the most difficult things you can do in management. And I think he doesn't always get it right, Derek McInnes, but he he does a fantastic job of what he's got. And he seems to get, more often than not, the most out of the players he's got. Yeah, so yeah, I, for me, Derek McInnes is one of the managers of the day. Yeah, I, I think... Um, he will be. I mean, I think it's just a measure of um, where the club were before he took over and where they are now is probably why he probably gets criticised in some way because we've made such a turn that we could have potentially achieved more. Um, the previous decade, um, we didn't. We only reached one cup final um, in two. So two cup finals at the start of that decade, and then didn't reach another one for 14 years. We've now been four cup finals since then. Um, unfortunately, three of them we met Celtic, um, but. Yeah. Yeah, we've we've been more, far more consistent in the league, and you know, let's let's be honest. I mean, you you guys were mentioning the um, the pros and cons of um, Neil Lennon, Brady, and Rogers. Every manager's um, you know, we could go through a lot of them. Like John Hughes, he was brilliant at Inverness, but then at Wraith Rovers, he got them relegated. Um, Tommy Wright was fantastic for St Johnson for a few years. It's it's tailed off the last couple, and there's another manager who's had to make constant changes to his team and still get um, decent performances up to a point with St Johnson. Uh, Stuart McCall did a terrific job at Mullow for three seasons, um, getting them best of rest mm-hmm. in each occasion. Um, and then he left and then, unfortunately for him, it didn't quite work out when he went to Rangers. So, you know, there's... And then there's Ian McCall uh, coming back from his, you know, kind of spell out of management in the last couple of years. Uh, Air United, I think he did a great job uh, yep. Air United, so yeah, the, 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 listen, the, there's been some fantastic matches, Tommy Wright, I, I think doesn't get some of the credit he deserves oh, um, He's a definite shout he, I think he's done a, a great job Because again, he's been consistent like, difficult circumstances, Steve think. Clark at Kilmarnock um, mm-hmm. the, 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 So yeah, the, the, there has been uh, some fantastic uh, managerial performances it's probably, you know, if you're looking for a, a bit of consistency, then it's over a period of time. So I think Derek McInnes, I think people forget, is he did it when Rangers came back in the league as well, because everybody kind of yeah. gave it, took it for granted that Rangers were going to just go back into second place and start building from there. Whereas obviously for two seasons, it wasn't that that wasn't the way it was going to go. So I think uh, 
for me to be McInnes and then right in terms of then consistency over the full 10 years. Jack Ross, one. Jack Ross deserves credit as well because the the phenomenal job Jack Ross did when he went, he switched from being an hour to St Mirren. He saved St Mirren that yeah. season and the yeah. next thing he did was getting promoted as champions. That was a phenomenal turnaround. And actually, going back to the, the, the invincible season, um, that was the a best game. That, yeah, the team that caused or one of the one of the teams that caused Celtic the most trouble in the cup games was Alwa, and one of the teams that caused as much trouble in the Scottish Cup was St Mirren. In fact, I think that the, there might still be a stat now that in all the cup games that Celtic have won in the last three and a half seasons, the team that's been ahead for the longest period of time has been St Mirren because it was almost a half of the game that they were ahead. I mean, Hearts obviously had the, the lead in the. The Scottish Cup final and Aberdeen had played in the Scottish Cup final at one point as well. But oh, it was like, it's a matter of minutes in every, just about every case, apart from St. Martin, who had like 45 minutes. So I, I think for Jack Ross, he'd, he'd certainly seem to uh, show stuff in, in those two um, games. He wasn't great at Sunderland. That's, but then look again, where they are now. So yeah. maybe it's not just down to him. I don't think. I think. I mean, you could make the same argument when you went in a Bolton actually. Um, I don't I think that was a, a terrible job to be taking because. Yeah, well, I think um, that's his fault for taking it. I can see why Jack Ross would go to Sunderland. I couldn't see why they went and went to Bolton. I'm not sure why he went to Sunderland, to be honest. But aye. I, 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 I didn't ever understood why they um, went to Bolton. Well, it was a, a mad decision. But yeah. Um, what about but, uh, Dick Campbell and the job he's done at Abroath? Yeah, uh, another good uh, show. Yeah. 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 Stuart Pete Pete off in League well. 3 mm-hmm. saved him from getting relegated into the Highland League and then he's up to the Championship I've got a different choice so for my manager of the decade Tommy Sloan at Talbot Aye, I was going to yeah. say um, <laughs> um, like job, eight, yeah. 21 trophies um, yeah. Junior Cups 5 Junior Cups 5 Leagues numerous other trophies in terms of Cup competitions one of the best games as well in terms of the Junior Cup final against Hilford um, 2018 2-1 down Going into injury time, thinking this game's over. Um, let it go from Wilson to make it 2 0, and then you're thinking, all right, okay, let's try and win an extra time. Go straight back up the park, head off in the crack, in which Craig McHeckin's head must be about one of the most famous things in football recently. <laughs> um, scores a bullet header and uh, gets the win. So I, Tommy Sloan has to be. They've got a bureau up, Tommy Sloan up and up and talking like a few others. The old manager as well from the 80s, but I know it's Aye, can only be Tommy Sloan. He's, a, he's yeah. modest as well, and just the effort he puts in with that team as well. And he's rebuilt a few teams as well. And mm-hmm. folk have said, oh, he can't keep rebuilding teams, can't keep on doing it. He keeps doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and everyone in the junior game respects him in terms of what he does. Yeah. Um, and everyone has passed to beat Talbot, so he's my choice. Yeah, the, the scalps that Talbot have taken in the Scottish Cup, they're the most visible to the wider Scottish football audience. Um, but the job he's done in the juniors has been brilliant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you ask my father-in-law about going to Tynecastle twice to watch Talbot, I think that would have happened. The likes of that, obviously going as close as we did to um, potentially getting a draw. And then there's a the time being here, obviously, last season, which to be on TV... As well, a TV game, apart from on Alba in the Junior Cup, actually to be on fourth round of the Scottish Cup on TV, Ayrshire Derby, all the talk was probably I would win. Um, the whole build up to it as well was fantastic. And then there's been the results against Cove, Cove came as a big shot, 
obviously this season not to like do we'd already put them out last season the talk was this year they're going to put us out easily beat them again just been some terrific moments and it's only going to get better as well it's getting it's, it's difficult for the other junior team to keep up with the money that Talbot have made over the last few seasons the Scottish Cup runs but we'll see, we need to see what happens with it I suppose we should to play properly. also mention uh, Scott Booth and that kind of Glasgow City's progress yeah. in Europe and yeah. stuff as well so keeping that up because obviously Hibs have been challenging Rangers and Celtic seem to be putting a wee bit of money into it uh, so I think you know certainly for European results if we're taking that into account like Chris Wentz then uh, Glasgow City as well with yeah. Scott Booth and Shelley Kerr with the uh, women's national team taking them to the first well, that was my Cups Scottish well. my international moment yeah that was my international moment was qualifying for the the only thing about the Shelley Kerr for manager that actually put me off was the kind of aftermath of the World Cup. I think she got a few yeah. things wrong during the tournament and then yeah. seemed to have Especially a go at the players. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then seemed to have a go at the players and kind of lost the dressing room at the wrong time. And I think credit to her, she's, she kind of won it back. She's kind of, I think that the management team's apologised, um, but that was the only kind of, that's why I, I, wouldn't, I, I didn't really mention her for the manager of the year, uh, decade. What other did, we cover, did we talk about best game at any point? Did, was that one of the categories? It's probably coming. It's probably coming one of the two categories. Best. It wasn't the one that I sent out in the email, but it might have appeared in the SPFL one. Um, I went from below six, hip six, but the start of the decade. As you saw, that was a crazy game. Um, <laughs> you know, hips went six two up after like sixty two minutes, and you thought, "Oh, that's game over." A lot of Motherwell fans um, left the ground by the time they got to the pub. It then finished six all, and it was just a amazing goal by Lukas Jukovic to to seal the draw. Um, I think my little, I think the two of them were still going for Europe at that point as well um, through the league, and uh, yeah, that was just absolutely crazy game. But um, it's one of the reasons why I love Scottish football as well. Shocking decade, Rangers. Oh, I. I I think like, we all knew they were spending beyond their means and all the tax stuff had been around for a couple of years we don't learn what EBTs were and all that stuff but for me actually going to administration and then ultimately liquidation in the, the, the summer was it was never something I thought could ever happen yeah, but sure enough. I mean, we we we've obviously seen it happen to other clubs. We've seen like teams like Motherwell and Dundee and Hearts and uh, all the others that went in the administration, but were able to get a, a CVA and come back out of it. But then we've seen the other the other side of it. Where Andre went bust, Gretna went bust, and ultimately just went. teams that yeah. had to start again from scratch. The Andre went and bought up Clyde Bank, um, so they did it there. A bit of a different way from everybody else, but there's a new Gretna sitting in the lower league with mm-hmm. 2008 brand on. Um, Rangers obviously had to start for the third division to come up. Um, so that to me was like you heard about Third Lanark, as I'm not old enough to remember them, you know, because um, they went bust in '67. But you never really thought it was something that could happen now. Um, so for all that to happen. As it did, I think that to me is a bigger shock of the decade. Easily. Yeah, potentially, yeah. Um, 
from a games point of view, I mean, there's a few you could cover Celtic being in the wrong end of a few, and it's actually uh, one of Celtic's I'm going to pick out, and it was from the same year Rangers went to administration. It was the League Cup final against Kilmarnock, because I, I don't think anyone predicted a Kilmarnock win. I think a lot of people thought this was going to be a comfortable Celtic victory, because Celtic had their tails up, they were... Um, the literature of the treble was going to be written for them. Um, and it's ironic that Celt- all the Celtic's trebles came after Rangers came in the league, not when they were out it, when people thought it would happen. And, mm. you know, the longer the game went on, you thought, come on, actually have a chance. And then they got a goal with five minutes to go, and it was just, um, I think it was just, everyone was shocked by it. I mean, I know Celtic then lost to St. Myrna following you, and that was a shock St. Myrna won the League Cup, but. Kilmarnock that I, th- I just think because nobody thought Kilmarnock would win, even the most staunch Kilmarnock fans, um, they, that probably wins it for me. Just see, I yeah, was like, I would agree with that. That's one and about. I guess I think I always like a, a Celtic uh, shock with Inverness Galley Thistle, so I kind of picked the the semi final. Um, you know, it was obviously a bit controversial, but then the last <laughs> a bit, just a bit. <laughs> Uh, which is another reason why I picked it, because I know Chris would uh, get a wee bit uh, agitated by it. But also, you know, the goal coming when they did as well, and to uh, extra time when everybody then kind of fancy Celtic, and then and when they score, Cali score, then Celtic score, they're like, okay, that's, it's going to go to penalties, or Celtic's going to nab it. And then, you know, for them to then get to the first cup final, and then for them to win their first Scottish Cup, I, you know, I just like the whole kind of story, and that, that was kind of my shock, was uh, the semi-final. There's two things annoying me about that. When I, I agree, Kilmarnock was a shock, but they deserved that because they held it resolutely, got their goal when it came, fair play to them, congratulations. Completely their set, actually, because they'd won the other two trophies before that. Um, for me, the Inverness one, we were cheated. Just, there's no way around that. There's no way that many officials all missed that handball. It's ridiculous. What handball? Um, <laughs> <laughs> But after that, there's no doubt the uh, our terrible corner, Inverness broke it apart, Craig Gordon got sent off, and then it was against us after that. Um, from For all we were cheated, we should have won that game anyway, because we yeah. were 1-0 up at the time. That would have made it 2-0 had we got the penalty and scored that. But we're still 11 against 11, we should have won that game. The other thing that annoys me about that, though, is Inverness then went on and played Falkirk in the final. And because I grew up at Falkirk, we had a few pals of Falkirk fans, we sort of soft spot for Falkirk, and then Inverness won it again in a way that was just irritating because the winning goal is pish goalkeeping for Jamie McDonald. <laughs> um, I mean, Inverness will no care. Uh, that was the first trophy. Um, but it was really irritating to lose such a goal at such a late time It's fun, because it's funny how many late goals have been scored in the Scottish Cup finals in, in recent years because um, again we mentioned David Gray and his late winner and the following season and, uh, that goal came in the last few minutes as well the St Johnson second goal was reasonably late in 2014 um, and then well actually the, 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 our double treble was just done in about 20 minutes um, but aye, there's been a few sort of late winners in the, the, the Scottish Cup. So, aye, it's been. Uh, I, think it's, I still I go back to it. The Scottish Cup is just is great. Um, another thing we should mention is Ross County picking up their silver mm-hmm. for the League Cup as well. And again, had to beat Celtic to win it. <laughs> yeah. 
I wasn't overly surprised as um, as most when both Inverness and Ross County won their respective trophies because Inverness under John Hughes were a very good side and they caused Celtic problems in the Scottish Cup for decades so um, it didn't come as a major surprise to me and similarly Ross County because um, Celtic had a bit of a Hamden hoodoo especially under Dyla um, and Ross County pretty much played Celtic off the park that day and then you just knew that they were going to beat Hibs because Hibs would just Hibs it up until the Scottish Cup when that then became the Hamden seen everything because um, they'd seen everything but a Hibs Scottish Cup win but no I wasn't as surprised as most people in Ross County won it uh, John, what I was, was surprised to beat Hibs did it I think that was the thing, because I think Hibs were a really good team that season. Um, and obviously that's the same season they won the Scottish Cup, so they, they could have had a cup double, um, despite playing in the Championship. Uh, but aye, I think that it was great to see, because like, that's still only like 20, 21 years since Inverness and North County joined the league. Well, so exactly. Both win within that kind of space of time. It's just brilliant. Yeah. Uh, Mine's just talk about against there. There's no better league team before in the Scottish Cup as well. Yes or Derby, TV, everything, everything that went with it. So that's got me mind. And again, it was a good performance. Uh, you know, I mean, it wasn't as if you know it was the kind of they were getting absolutely mauled or anything. They held their own, and you know, I, I enjoyed that game. I really enjoyed that game. Plus, everyone in the village made a few quid as well. Pretty much. <laughs> so, I, 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 Always helps. <laughs> that. Um, player of the decade. It's <sighs> a tough one. I think he's just for long, long activity and what he's done. Scott Brown at Celtic. Yeah. Well, I, went, I had a similar idea, but I went with James Forrest because he kind of started as a you know a real youngster at the start of the decade. He won the young player of the decade. There's a couple of um, iffy times um, under Rory Dyla. But then when Brendan came in and then with uh, Neil Lennon second time as well, he's then one player of the, the season, so he's kind of came all, all the way up um, and he's, he's done it for Celtic and Scotland, so that's kind of my reasoning for, for James Forrest. But I did think Scott Brown as well, just for the, the full decade. Yeah, I think of consistency across the decade, I'd agree, I'd agree with Scott Brown. Um, I think James Forrest has certainly come loops and bounds since... Uh, he was, a, he was a good player under Neil Lennon, but I think Ronnie Dyla managed to get something out of him that kept him fit. I think that was one of the key things, because under Lennon, he kept getting injured, there was spells in the sidelines where he'd have to get treatment, you wouldn't see him for weeks. I don't know what Ronnie Dyla done to change that, but whatever it was, it worked great, because he started to improve under him, and then when Brendan Rodgers came in, Rodgers got the best out of him. Definitely his best spell at Celtic was under Rodgers. Was yeah, it the I tomato ketchup? Quite, it might have been the tomato ketchup. I should stop on the, 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 the nasty food. Um, but aye, it was, it, that made a difference, I think. Whatever Dyla did to, uh, made, made a huge difference, and Rodgers got the best out of him. Um, and he was just brilliant under Rodgers. Uh, I don't think he's quite hit the same heights um, under Lindy Lennon in the second spell. Um, but he still has had his, his great moments um, like the equaliser against Lazio for instance European moment yeah, I've already kind of touched on it was either for me the Barcelona game for Celtic or the Lazio one at the end of the decade so it's either beating the best team on the planet or beating the fat, most fascist team on the planet just depends which one you, you prefer <laughs> it's uh, that's the kind of um, way I look at it. Can I, can I answer for the other guys? 
Mm-hmm. Is, is it Vayek and Elsie uh, Aberdeen 3? It's certainly mine. Aye, certainly mine. Followed by the most disappointing, which was the, the next round against Apollon, where you feel like it was a good chance of getting through to the, the playoff round and that was a disappointing after winning the first leg. Mm-hmm. What's that? The um, Apollon was a different year to when we beat Raika. Um, it was the Kazakhstan team that beat us after oh, Raika. Um, my worst was Maribor. Actually, um, because you know, away from home, same Adam Rooney. Um, you know, you get now again, um, scores after um, the goalkeeper takes out. Um, I can't visit Rooney, it should have been play on in 1 0 Aberdeen, or it should have been a red card to the goalkeeper. Neither happened, but then Adam Rooney misses a penalty, and that was just a missed opportunity that night. And then to compound things, we lose a freak goal in the last minute through a Graham Shinney back pass and a bobble over Joe Lewis's leg. Um, it's just Typical of the way the night went. That was mine. Hey, also good moment as well was the Burnley game down at Burnley. The introduction of Lewis Ferguson. Yes. What he could do. That was brilliant. I also have a special mention for Rangers' final, the home game after Fernando Rickson died. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you could you could just feel it. The, the, the tension was there. The, the kind of thing. I think the players handled it well. You got the the goal from Ojo and the. You know, to get that win and to get the the kind of that game out the road, which was always going to be a big game for them, I thought you know that that deserves a special mention as well. It's probably the best performance in Europe. Yeah, how, how that game was only one 0 I've no idea because no. yeah. Rangers dominated it from start to finish. Mm-hmm. Um, just aye, I mean, obviously the, the the sad part of the, the decade was what happened to Fernando. Yeah. If we did a brave um, person of the decade, I would certainly think he would be it. Um, the way he fought that, because you know, yeah. it would have been so, it would have been so easy for him just to give up. But he, he, he fought, he fought it with dignity. Um, he just kept putting the message out there. Um, it wasn't easy at times. In the documentary I've seen afterwards, uh, him uh, getting changed by a care and stuff, I thought it was really heartbreaking. But he obviously wanted to put that out there for awareness and. Um, I mean, we thought so... before that you know I didn't particularly like him when he was a player, but maybe because he was that kind of player, I wanted my team. To be honest, yeah, but... uh, being, <laughs> a, being a Rangers fan, uh, it, it, it was it, it was frustrating, but he was that kind of player that you you loved. It's a bit like Sutton. I always say that about Chris Sutton. Chris Sutton, I think everybody hates unless he's in your team, and then you kind of see the, the value in him. But I, I, I met Fernando Rickson a couple of times when I was working in a nightclub, and he was just full of energy. He was just always full of energy. Every time I saw him, he was wanting shots of Maduri, he was doing this, that and the next thing. Very playful, very, you know, polite and uh, he would speak to anybody and everybody that was in, in the room with him. And so, so, so to actually have seen him like that in person and having conversations with him and then to see what happened uh, throughout his illness, it was just such a such a shame. Um, and because when you see what he was like and how energetic and how boisterous he actually was to what he eventually became because of that illness, it's just, it's just that so stark you can't even believe it really. Yeah, I mean, you, 
you don't really want to remember the, the illness of Fernando Rixon. You want to remember, well, personally, I want to remember Bobby Peter turning him inside out. But I'd imagine as a Rangers fan, you're going, you're going to be wanting to remember things like how he was your captain of the team. That... All right, Chuck John McClellan into the swimming pool and he couldn't swim. He was chapping in the Alan Thompson's door at three in the morning. Aye, but no, you want to remember the captain of Rangers that done the impossible and won the, the title in 2005, that kind of thing. That's. Yeah. That's the Fernando Rixon that everybody should remember. Um, but I, I, I think we, we will also remember the, the, the Fernando Rixon that was the fighter um, that refused to give in to such a horrible wasting disease. Um, and as such a, a fit young man, um, for, he's older than me, but um, relatively young, um, he, he, he probably survived a lot with that motor neuron disease more than a lot of people would have done. And he fought every length of the way, right to the end. So yeah, that was. Uh, I think that probably was the saddest moment of the the decade. I'm not sure I can ever think of another football-related one. Um, I suppose Liam Kelly's father passed away at the that final that I mentioned. Yeah. 2012 as well. Um, yeah. That was. It's some 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 fan moments as well. I think we've suddenly come into a stage where. You know, we've seen as if the society was a bit more racist, a bit more problems in the park, uh, sorry, off the park and stuff like that. That kind of tinged certain points of uh, certain seasons, but um, in the, on the whole, it's been fine. So, yeah, I mean, for, for me, the, the, on one side, you've got all the stuff that gets chucked onto pitches and other discussions or chanting we get and just. A lot of stuff we could do with it, um, yeah. but on the other hand, like we've had some brilliant f- uh, songs come out of the stands um, for individual players, for instance. Um, I mean, another thing, like, even Preston North End were singing one at the weekend after Scott Sinclair. So, but the, um, the other thing is to, to t- turn that around into a positive. We've had a lot of um, fans doing more for the clubs, you know, in the community, buying clubs and helping out. Um, a lot of charities, you've had um, food banks and stuff like that. Yeah. So, you know, it, it's certainly more, I think, in a positive than a negative. Um, so we should also mention mention that and that's that aspect because, you know, I deal a lot with that with the, the Scottish uh, the Supporters Direct people. And, you know, the football fans can bring a whole town, a whole community together. And, you know, that's great to see, and, you know, that that happens more and more. Um, so we should also, if, I, if I'm going to say a bit about the negative, I should highlight the, the various positives up and down the country as well. Yeah, I think the positives are what certain fan groups. I mean, the Green Brigade are probably a perfect example. They run a, a, a bank drive every season. Um, and when you say Green Brigade to certain people, there's just negative connotations, but... For me, there is that side of them as well. So um, that's the kind of stuff that should be highlighted. And then you've got like so much fan ownership uh, compared to what we had 10 years ago. It's great to see as well. What's hopefully still going to happen at Partick Thistle. Um, uh, it's just the latest. Uh, I mean, f- for me, one of the success stories of the decade was Hearts emerging from the administration, the way the fans rallied around them to do yeah. that. And that is going to lead ultimately to a, a fan ownership model. Um, I know and budget's still in there at the moment, but that's that's one of the great success stories of the decade. Well, I went yeah. to the the St Mirren game straight after the kind of Romanov demise, um, and it, it was a sellout, and you could just tell that everybody in that stadium was there to kind of 
save their football club, and it was it was brilliant. And then to see that they, they actually done it, they, they they found a way of doing it, was uh, sensational. Anything else we want to cover in terms of best or worst of the decade? And we've covered everything. I'll t- tell you what, some of the weirdest moments of the decade. Um, for one, me having a YouTube video that's got about 300,000 views is weird. Um, just because I turned up at the Barcelona game and screamed into my phone. <laughs> um, so, I mean, that, it's funny. It wasn't you missing that shot in Celtic Park, no? Well, that was pretty bad. No, so people that watch me miss, a, miss an open goal is about a thousand. People that want to listen to me screaming about how great it is that Tony Watts just scored the goal is about three hundred thousand. Uh, it's very strange. Um, I mean that, that, it's funny because that is a, that all came from a podcast that I did for a few years um, that started on the day that you like, that nine 0 game you mentioned earlier. <laughs> it was one of those ones. It was, it was like Celtic's hundred twenty third anniversary, um, and one of the things that was. It was 2010, so one of the things that they'd done before the game was the first of a Celtic Grave Society event at the nearby cemetery for Dan Doyle. So I'd went along, recorded that. People seen I'd recorded that and asked me if they could put it on their podcast. And because I was working on another podcast at the time, I felt kind of guilty, so I thought I'd try something new. And then we got the 9 0 game. <laughs> so that was fun. Must do this again. And it just grew arms and legs after that to the point that it was probably at the peak of the, the Barcelona game where. Again, end up with three hundred thousand views on YouTube. Um, so I, I mean, for, for, I never explicitly said it, but for me, the greatest moment of the decade was that Tony Watt goal because it's that brief moment where you've just gone not one 0 but two 0 up against probably the best team in the planet at the time. Um, and it's that brief moment of yes, we're going to beat them to oh, there's still seven minutes left. That's not good us yet. <laughs> <laughs> just that moment of elation to quit like right we've still got to see it the last seven minutes plus injury <laughs> and it was the longest seven and a half minutes and then I think grew it about ten minutes after that um, and I think I recorded most of it at that game as well and it was just me being nervous and trying to calm myself down and that's what I'll be fine and then Messi scores it's like oh no they're going to do it they're going to pull it uh, and then you got to full time and it was um, again elation but the, the moment of that goal is something that will have me forever Literally, because it's on YouTube. Um, I, I don't think I mentioned what my actual worst moment was away from me missing that sitter. Um, I think it was probably the Inverness game um, up there. It was the the season that we didn't win the league this decade. Uh, <laughs> uh, because it was neck and neck, and then we won at Ibrox in the New Year game, and then they went to Ibrox again, and Samaras got that penalty that he gets saved again this goes back to what we were saying earlier about goalkeepers and saving penalties you're right about Alan McGregor when West Fotheringham was in there you think maybe I'll score this penalty when Alan McGregor's in goal you think uh, it might be a bit dodgy as Van Christie found out um, but aye, it was, Samaras took almost exactly the same penalty in two separate games and one was right in at the side net of the netting so Alan McGregor couldn't get his fingers to it and one was just slightly closer to him so McGregor did save it and that game finished 0-0 and it meant that Celtic could no margin for error whatsoever and we had this game in hand to play. After the split had happened against Inverness who were in the bottom six and we turned up and were rotten that day and ultimately lost the game, lost the league 
because Rangers just won all their five games after Spartans would be and that game cost us the title and that to me was probably the worst moment of um, the entire decade um, because that was a title that I felt we could have and probably should have won apart from that one dismal game in Inverness um, Is that the difference but, between an experienced manager and an inexperienced manager at the time? I don't know because Neil Lennon's Celtic went on to do that time and again. I mean, the the League Cup final that season against Rangers, we just didn't turn up. Um, it's eerily similar to what we've been doing this season and that we've played Rangers and not really turned up. Um, but it did, Lennon Celtic always had these games every so often where they were just were rotten. The entire team, for no apparent reason. Um, Kilmarnock as well. The like, Again, that was 2011 actually. We were 3-0 down at half time. Um, but you always got. Dreadful that game. I was somewhere in the back, and then that was the that was a that was a catalyst. That game where we started to believe actually we could do better than that, and we went on. We were fifteen points behind Rangers at one point to get to overhauling them for New Year. Um, but you always got that with Walter Smith, Rangers, in the sense of if you if Celtic lost, he went right. That's it. We've got a, a winning run, and as you say, the last five games that was it. You know, as soon as he oh, yeah. sniffed See, it's a bit of blood that was it they, they were gone yeah I kept it going I mean the, the, the points tally that season was it was at 93 to Rangers and 92 to Celtic it was like it was the highest points tally it had been for like the past sort of three or four seasons because um, I think when Celtic had last won it under stacking it was only in the 80s and then the next couple of seasons we were garbage um, so oh, I think Rangers points tally wasn't quite as high so Actually, Celtic's challenge that season kept Rangers honest, and they did have to go and earn that third title in a row. Um, so, aye, I think it probably was um, experiencing from Walter Smith. You do realise he said that kept Rangers honest, and that's going to be the thing that everybody picks on now for the rest <laughs> of the, when they hear that. We should probably move on <laughs> to the <laughs> upcoming weekend action. Mentioned the Scottish uh, Cup uh, earlier. I never finished what was said about the most ridiculous moment of the um, decade. Um, let's see if I can pronounce his name right. Bartosz Berezinski. Do you remember that name? No. He was the light substitute for Legia Warsaw when Celtic played at Murrayfield. Oh. The man who wasn't eligible to play. <laughs> and it only came, I, I completely forgot about this until you mentioned Maribor. Because that substitution meant that Celtic's 2-0 defeat on the day was turned into a 3-0 win. And Callum McGregor's away goal in the 4-1 defeat in Warsaw was enough to take us through in away goals. They would have played Maribor and get beat 1-0 at Celtic Park. <laughs> so that's why I was laughing when you said me too when you were mentioning Maribor being one of the worst moments. But yeah, Bartosz Berezinski. A name that will live in infamy. Because he's late substitution in a game where he does <laughs> it was already sorted. Cost Lega also the place in the the, the playoff round of the Champions League. Someone going to move us on? Weekend. <laughs> 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 yeah, because it's Scottish Cup thing. Yes. Yeah. The winter play, break yeah. has all of a sudden disappeared. It felt like a. It was going to be forever, but uh, no, well, as you say, it's starting on Friday night uh, as Rangers host Stranraer, which should be a routine win for Rangers, I would think. Any shocks? Anyone think there'll be any shocks in the fourth round? I'm not sure looking at it. Maybe air against Ross County. Um, 
with air being at home, it might be um, a, a trickier one to call. But I th- I, even then, I think if Ross County um, produce their best, they'll be more than good enough. But I can't see in any other fixtures where a shot's going to come from. I know we said this last year, and then Aberdeen drew it home to Stens Muir. Um, but I would think Aberdeen will learn for that and take care of them batting. Um, I think it depends what Falkirk turns up at Arbroath. Mm-hmm. Technically, Falkirk winning up would be a shock because they're in the lower division. I know it seems weird to look at that mm-hmm. uh, fixture and think Falkirk would be a shock, but um, Falkirk have been a bit hit and miss in League One. Um, I think they're capable of going to Arbroath and winning, but Arbroath's form at the moment has been pretty decent not so much in recent weeks uh, as I had been earlier in the season, but I think there's there's potential for that one to be a, a bit of a shock. Um, but I'm not sure many people are going to look at it. I think it's a shock. Let's say it's weird. Um, if Hearts were away at Airdrie, maybe. But See, I was thinking Hearts as well in the sense of just nothing's clicked yet. Yeah, that was the other thing I was thinking. It's, they looked a lot better in the second half. Um, against Hibs than they did in the first half but it wasn't enough and then they played pretty well until they went down to 10 men against Aberdeen um, so uh, it remains to be seen they're, they're, they're a bit in transition at the moment though because like, basically this player can go and that player can go without having actually really changed it yet now I know it's only Monday night when we're recording this but um, it's hard to get players in in time for Saturday's game but um, I think the fact they're at home maybe just Edges it for them. Well, they are moving on one of the um, the field coaches there. Um, I don't know what the gripe is um, with with John Daly, other than um, trying to pick a one of words with Brendan Rogers. What has John Daly done um, since he went into Hearts? Um, I don't see a problem with what Stendhal's um, doing in that respect. Um, it's maybe a bit crap the way he's treated better by putting him in the reserves. Um, but again, can Christoph Bear have any complaints um, as to why he'd be left at the Hearts team right now? He's been poor this season. And he's he's getting past it. He'll probably do a job for some other teams um, in the league. But it's uh, um, not what Hearts are looking for right now. And they need, they've got, him and Halkett are probably too similar um, when, you, when you look at it. And... Yeah, I think a decision had to be made. Um, and if Hearts are going to get this predicament that um, Michael Stewart doesn't believe they're in, then they need to make these decisions and that's why they're bringing in this guy Stendhal to do. But the, thing about, the thing about, if you bring in a manager, you have to back the manager. And if he looks at Christoph Berra, and let's face it, Christoph Berra hasn't had a good season, but if he looks at him and thinks he doesn't fit into my game plan, You've got, to, you've got to back your manager, that's why you brought him in, that's why he's, he's there. So I don't think you can... Yeah, Berra's been great for Hearts in the past and he made a, a big step coming back, I think. But if it's not what Stendhal needs, then yeah, he's, he's well within his rights to say, listen, you're better going somewhere else, you're better not being in the first team because I just don't see the merits. Um, and listen... Going back to why Brendan Rodgers was so good, uh, which I can't believe what I'm actually saying, but never mind. <laughs> the one thing that I'll, I'll always give him credit for is he makes a judgment on a player, but he can be swayed. Um, yeah. So th- that player can win, win his trust. Um, and I think maybe if Berra was playing for the reserves and was you know doing the right things, 
But, you know, you have to go with whatever the manager says originally and then just try and either win back your place or go somewhere else. If they say you can go somewhere else, there'll be a few teams that will want to pick them up in, in the, the Scottish Premiership. So you just go somewhere else and prove them wrong somewhere else. Simple as that. You sounded like Jim White to Brian Loudrup there, Scott. Um, Brendan, how come you're <laughs> why, so good? Why, why is he so good? I, don't, I, would ne- I would never ever say that to his face, so it's a, it's a weird look. Um, so the, the, the four games that have been picked up for telly, um, Premier Sports were boring. Um, went for the Rangers game on Friday night and Celtic away to Partick Thistle on Saturday at half five. Uh, BBC have picked up probably the two interesting games uh, of the, the the tie of, of the round. Um, we've got Dundee Motherwell at 20 past seven on Saturday night. Uh, I think that's... I don't really see a shot get a fancy Motherwell probably win that. Yeah, me too. And then, for me, tie the round, the United Hubs. Um, yeah. And you wouldn't classify it as a shock if Dundee United win, although technically they're in the lower league than Hibs. Um, yeah. You know, it wouldn't be a surprise if Dundee United did win that tie. They're in a lower league for Hibs, but uh, for now... Because <laughs> I think we've all pretty much agreed to that championship sales. Yeah. Aye. Yeah, it's going to take one almighty collapse for them to throw away that league. Because the problem is, uh, everyone else is dropping points in the championship. In fact, um, fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth teams are all sitting in 25 points, which I think sums up how close that league is. I'm interested in the Lowland, all kind of Lowland uh, league tie between uh, East Kilbride. Yeah, BSC Glasgow. I think you know one of them getting through it means so much to them. Um, so I, I think that's an intriguing game. I know you know yeah. I can see why the TV haven't really picked it up. But um, if I wasn't working, that's the game I'd be going to. Mm-hmm. Well, Bonnie Rig Rose against Clyde could be a um, a potential shock. A shock, um, yeah. That's probably the other one that you would maybe look at. Um, I know we're criticising the Premier Sports choices. I think Partick Thistle and Celtic, so you can understand that choice because Partick Thistle's a home team, you just never know. Um, I think Rangers went a bit lazy, but the problem is I'm looking at the fixtures and what other fixture would you put as another choice? Um, and I don't really... East Kilbride, BSC, Glasgow. Just say Glasgow. that. Yeah, no, true. <laughs> if you could go Hearts, Airdrie, or... Um, who, who did the BBC if it was, If it was Airdrie at home, then yeah, I would have... Yeah. yeah, that would have been it. Um, over Rangers, I think that's the problem. I mean, you look at them and you think that could be a shock if it was all the way around several times. Yeah, St. Martin Broxburn, that's got a bit of attention there, but it's in Paisley. Um, Kilmarnock at Queen's Park, if Kilmarnock had to go to Hamden, well, are they playing at West Hamden Queen's Park these days? Have they done that yet? They haven't done that yet. I think it's still a bit of both. Yeah, I know that's obviously the good news of the sort of the last few weeks is that Queen's Park, it's bizarre having Queen's Park not being amateur anymore, but um, all that stuff would be granted for Lesser Hamden. Um, they're going to have a nice wee stadium there. Suits them a bit better than this massive 52,000 capacity stadium with three men and a dog in it. Uh, but aye, it's, it'll be interesting with Queen's Park going for the next few years because of that. But um, I say if, if Queen's Park were at home to come on, it might fancy something that happened there, but that way then it's probably a bit difficult I mean Livingston Race Rovers is another one that, that, that to me would be interesting if it was up in Kirkcaldy um, yeah. but playing in a plastic pitch yeah obviously mm-hmm. annoying to play in that plastic pitch to be honest yeah exactly so, I'd it's, it's the same with Hamilton and Edinburgh City actually <laughs> um, Edinburgh City are doing really well in League 2 at the moment 
but you kind of fancy they're probably going to lose at Hamilton too, on that plastic match. Yeah, too many home ties to Premiership teams has spoiled the draw a wee bit from um, a neutral perspective. Um, and, you know, the three main ones where the Premiership teams away from home are all picked up by TV. In fact, it's, it's not even an old Premiership tie. I've just noticed that. No, no, they something managed to avoid that this year. Yeah. Yeah, because I remember one year, 2015, um, they had, you know, five um, of the ties were all Premiership ties, yeah. <laughs> which was weird. But um, yeah, let's see what happens in this weekend. Uh, well, I mean, to get a measure of it, you had um, Thistle were at home at Dun United last weekend, they lost 4-1, um, and then Stranard's game was postponed, so can't really compare them. Um, and then this is a Dundee United one so um, I'd be interested to see Hibs got on against them but the Celtics Glasgow record's not been great as of late so maybe Partick Thistle is coming at the wrong time for Neil Lennon possibly yeah could be I mean pretty sure the for Hull is pretty good but and we should probably wrap this podcast up, otherwise we'll be into the next decade, I think. Yeah. I think this is the longest one we've had. Well, yeah. to be fair, we did have to cover 10 years worth of football. Yeah. I think we managed to get that under two hours is good. Yeah, of which an hour and 15 has been covered by you and Scott. <laughs> <laughs> Aye, that was just a debate. It was a bit that was just the Rodgers-Lennon <laughs> debate, that was all that was. Aye, the Celtic I've been right. sitting here eating popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> it's not bad I've actually finished my small face. <laughs> Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> what decade is that from then? Spawn my face, jeez. The, the 90s. That was back in fashion. It was a bit of deja vu because I had said the exact same thing when we did the uh, 2019, the last decade uh, um, of a decade. Uh, <laughs> we could probably end up doing another best of the decade podcast because we never even mentioned the, the team of the, the decade in terms of respective teams, but we'll know. Talk about it because we'll no. be here till midnight. <laughs> it's the uh, invincible treble one in Celtic. Done. There you go. Let's move on. Okay. Um, so, this decade after tonight, we will not mention Tom Rogic. No. There's no need to. He's not played. I cheers, Scott, for coming on again. Thank you very much for having me. Aye, great to have you again, Scott. Always welcome. Um, and we'll be back next week. Where it'll be a, a more traditional podcast. Yeah. Right. Right. Cheers, guys. Cheers. 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 I thought I was never going to stop. That was great fun. I really enjoyed that.